welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees and anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the presenters for Dragon Bites and one of the trainees here in Wales. This week we're going to be kicking off another new series with you. I'm going to cringe as I say it, but the name of this series is Oop, there it is. The idea behind this is we're trying to explore different out-of-programme experiences that trainees can have. So we've been having a chat with a number of trainees who've had different types of -of out-of-programme experiences so as they can share what happened and how they found that to be. So if you're interested in taking some time out or maybe you have a specific interest in one of these experiences that have happened, this is a good chance for you to have a listen in and hear from someone who's gone through it. We're going to kick off this series with an interview with the current Bristol Simulation Fellow, and that's Dr. Laura Crosby, who's also a seven deanery paediatric trainee and taking some time out to do this simulation fellowship. So if you're interested in finding out more about the Bristol Simulation Fellowship, have a listen now. Let's get started. So, um, hi everyone, I'm Asim, I'm one of the um, presenters for Dragon Bites, and I, um, it's a pleasure today to be joined by Laura Crosby, who's one of the paediatric trainees down in Bristol. Hi, Laura. Hi, Asim. How are you? Yeah, really great. Thanks very much. Thanks for uh, inviting me onto the podcast. Thanks for joining us. So, hopefully what we're going to talk about today is a little bit about the Sim Fellowship you're doing. Was that what you were expecting? Yes, yeah, definitely. Amazing. So before we get on to that, I find it's always useful just to get to know the person I'm talking to, because I don't think we, we've not really formally met before, have we? No, we've met. We've met on the sort of Twitter sphere. We've not met in real life. No, exactly. So this is as close as we're going to get, at least in the foreseeable future, for meeting in real life. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, um, how about we start with your career? Can you tell me a bit about your career to date? Yeah, so I am... Um... I'm between Peds ST5 and ST6 doing my UP. So I trained in uh, Oxford and then have been essentially living and working in Seven ever since then, apart from a brief uh, foray to work in paediatrics in Australia. So returned to start my Peds training and I've been in living and working in Bristol and the surrounding District General Hospital since then. Wow. When did you go to Australia? How long were you there for? I was there just for a year um, as a as an F3. One of the consultants in Bristol Children's Hospital ED had worked out there and put me in touch. And the rest is, um, as they say, history. So, yeah, I worked in Peds Emergency Medicine and a few other specialties out there. And it was an absolutely incredible year. But England has always been home and I love the southwest. So I'm, yeah, I'm really I've been really pleased to be back and doing most of my training here. Oh, amazing. Thanks, Laura. Are we allowed to mention your grid? Oh, yes, you're definitely allowed to mention that. Yeah. (laughs) A bit more naturally. I just wanted to check if that was okay, if you wanted to keep it DL for now. Yeah, no, totally. So, um, yeah, so I've I've just um, secured a grid post in paediatric rheumatology which means I have to leave my beloved Southwest to move to Cambridge for a year and then I'll be back in Bristol uh, after that. Oh, amazing. Well, congratulations. That's amazing news. Well done. Thank you. Thanks. And I'm saying earlier, you're the only person I know who's done rheumatology as a trainee. So that's amazing. 
Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's, I suppose it is a slightly more niche specialty. There aren't that many training jobs each year, but it is it's it's the best. Sorry, Sim. I know that I know that you're pen, but it is the best specialty. Yeah, well, uh, we could argue <laughs> about this for hours, but I will accept that we do need more rheumatologists. We always struggle to get a room opinion, so I'm glad that someone is happy to do this. Great. And we were saying earlier that you might be able to recruit me over to over to Wales in the in the future. Yeah, and even if we don't, I've got your phone number now. So I'll be ringing you for opinions whenever there's something complicated that shows up. I'm on speed dial, particularly if you get something embarrassing on on tape today. Amazing. <laughs> um, the other thing I was wondering is, and I've asked this of pretty much everyone I meet, uh, but what was it that drew you to paediatrics? Oh, so I'm I'm one of those um, annoying people who's wanted to be a paediatrician since they were about six. Um, my my best friend had leukemia and I used to go and visit him at the Great Ormond Street Hospital and just announced it to my parents out of the blue that I was going to be a doctor. My parents aren't medics. I don't think I knew any any medics back then. But I just remember the feeling of walking into the children's hospital and seeing him. And of course, I was really shielded from how unwell he was. But I remember it being such a, a positive place and the staff all being amazing and that really stayed, really stayed with me. Um, there was also a giant rocking horse, I think, in the entrance. And I used to think if I was a doctor, I'd get to play on that every day and never leave. So my priorities <laughs> have changed a little bit, but my interests never did. And here we are. Oh, wow. OK, that's definitely, as far as I know, that's the earliest decision about getting into paediatrics that I've come across so far. <laughs> Six years old definitely wins. That's the <laughs> way. Um, so to get to to what we were hoping to talk about today so um you're currently the sim fellow working in the bristol i'm not going to get this acronym right all the bristol something something center bristol rural well i suppose you'd say it's, it's the i'm the peds sim fellow for the children's hospital in bristol but i divide my time between working in paediatric intensive care so clinical 50 percent, and 50 percent of my job is working in the simulation center but doing mm paediatric based simulation. Wow. So um, can you tell us what does the what does this fellowship involve? What what's the actual job? Yeah, so the, the job is split 50-50. So 50% of my time is working clinically and doing the on calls working in paediatric intensive care. It's the first time I've done a PICU job. So I was really new to that, but it's an amazing and really welcoming team, a very steep learning curve in terms of the medicine, but a, a brilliant one. And then the other 50% of my time is education. So I'm based in the simulation center. And some of what we do is uh, simulation ed based education at the center. So I organize the regional simulation courses for pediatric trainees, the key competencies, stepping up to registrar course, coping with emergency simulation courses. And we also do what we call point of care simulations. So we go out of the sim centre to the wards and work with all of the staff there, the multidisciplinary team to deliver simulation based education. And that might be about something really topical, something that they've asked for. It could be in response to a patient safety event, but it means that the job is really incredibly, incredibly varied. That sounds like a lot of fun. It is. <laughs> uh, what was it that drew you to do the fellowship in the first place? So I, I think that I knew I knew that I wanted to do an out of programme year. And this job in particular, I think, balanced the educational aspect. So I've I've 
really had a long-standing interest in medical education and had done quite a few things over the years, but had not had that much experience in simulation. So I knew that this would be something really new and interesting and adds a lot to my experience in delivering medical education. And then also the clinical aspect. So at the time I was trying to decide where I was going to head with my career and recognise that paediatric intensive care was a big gap in my knowledge. I've always been someone who's super knowledge hungry and, and looking for new experiences. So I was also equally excited by the clinical aspect of it. Oh, amazing. And, and you're, now, you're now six months into the fellowship, is that right? So you're at the midpoint, I would say? Yeah, yeah, gosh, oh yeah, that's scary. It's flown by. In terms of your personal role in the, in the educational aspect of, of uh, in the simulation center, what bits do you do? Do you help design the courses you're delivering or do you run QI projects around them? Or, you know, what does your actual day-to-day -day work there involve? Mm, so my, my day-to-day -day work would involve, um, also from the, from the simulation side of things, uh, designing, planning, running um, the point of care simulation and also the, the courses. Often there's things that you can work on that have been done already. So we're not reinventing the wheel each time, but, and there's definitely an opportunity to put your own spin on things. So for example, at the moment, I'm organizing our coping with emergencies course. So finding the date, recruiting faculty, deciding what the, the, the itinerary is going to look like for the day, making sure that we've got great scenarios planned, and then making sure that the course runs really smoothly and that all of the attendees get a great day, as well as the faculty get a great day out of it. So it's really um, it, it's involved in all of the aspects of designing and delivering education, as well for the uh, point of care simulation. Um, I should also say that I'm not I'm not by, not flying solo by by any means. There is an amazing team over there. Emily, one of the uh, Peds emergency department nurses, also is uh, working with the sim with the simulation team. So she does a huge amount of work, and I learn lots from her as well. Oh, that's really good to hear. Uh, and and as we as we're on the subject of learning, what what have you? Can you think of any sort of tangible lessons you've worked walked away with already? Oh, I mean, every day is an amazing learning experience. On the PICU side, as, as I said earlier, that it's a really steep learning curve. And all of the medicine feels so exciting and so new to me. But from a, an education point of view, um, the, the department is really invested in your learning and development. So when I started, I went on courses in designing simulation and running simulation, a debrief course. And so you start by... Um, really developing all this new knowledge and skills and then you implement that every time you, de you, you design and deliver a new a new simulation um, based teaching event um, and I think I learn not just from doing the teaching I learn from the people that you are uh, teaching as well you learn from the from the participants we did a course uh, recently um, on step up to registrar and, and one of the attendees just had such a beautiful way of breaking bad news that I left thinking, yeah, I've learned something great today as well. So that idea of bi-directional education is definitely part of part of the learning experience for me. Oh, amazing. Um, and then are there any sort of, um, I suppose you've already mentioned a couple of these. So I was going to say, are there any more sort of tangible uh, things that you have learned or that you get as part of doing this? Um, any courses or, or things along those lines? Yeah, so I think... Two of the things that I've been reflecting on recently have been 
the idea of learning from excellence, that's been something that is relatively new to me. I'm so used to attending teaching and being told, here's where the gap is in your knowledge. Here's how you could improve. But this idea that we can help people understand why they have done something exceptional or done something just really well and helping them to understand it as well so they can replicate it and sharing that with the group has been something that's really powerful for me in my practice and also in um, in teaching others. And then I think the other thing that's been really helpful is just this idea of curiosity and education, really wanting to understand why someone thinks the way they do, or why they've done something a certain way in, in simulation is so helpful, not just to really understand where we might be able to improve things, but it also helps the rest of the group and me to learn too. So those have been a couple of things that I uh, have really spent time reflecting on and learning during my time as Sim Fellow. That's incredible. Th- thank you for that, Laura. Um, I suppose it'd be really useful to know because yeah, uh, it sounds like you've had such an excellent experience of this so far or maybe I'm just picking up on the enthusiasm in your voice about it all um, but what uh, what's the best thing out of all the things you've done so far what's been your favorite the the best thing is the people uh, I think that's the same with everything in medicine that it's just such a joy to work with such an amazing group of people and particularly in the sim center I work with this amazing multidisciplinary team and learn from this amazing team that I wouldn't ordinarily meet through my clinical work. Um, And and there's just so much to learn from them. But also, as part of the SIM Fellowship, I do get involved with other, other projects that are going on. So if I've got time and someone's working on, I don't know, simulation for maxillofacial surgeons, I'll say, yeah, sure, I'll come and help with that. And then suddenly you're um, running a simulation where someone's got a massive spurting bleed and and you're thinking wow this is this is not the sort of thing I would normally be doing in my pediatric practice but you learn from that so I think it's the yeah I think it's the variety and working with just a brilliant group of people and I suppose that the, the counter to that um, Laura is is there anything that perhaps hasn't gone as well as you'd hoped this year so I think I was Definitely anticipating that doing having different aspects to the job, different commitments in different areas would be a challenge. So for me, that's working clinically, doing the simulation education side of things, and then doing a postgraduate certificate as well, alongside the fact that I was applying for a, a grid post during that time. So you're spinning lots of plates. And I was definitely anticipating that to be a challenge, and it certainly has been. Mm. Although it's really great to have 50% of the on-call commitments, so the hours are not quite as challenging as they have been in my previous routers, there's definitely some stress that comes with that. You might be on a PICU shift thinking, I've got this course coming up, I need to be organising that, and vice versa. Mm. Um, So... That has definitely been challenging and it's stressful in a very different way to just doing a clinical job is stressful. So that's been difficult. But I suppose on reflection, lots of us are going to have multifaceted careers in the future, aren't we? We're all going to be doing lots of different things that interest us. 
alongside our clinical work. So it's also, yes, it's a challenge, but it's also a really useful skill to learn, to be able to balance and prioritize things when there might be different demands at different times. And also making sure that you don't just let everything expand to fill the space you give it and encroach on your personal life too. So yes, that's been tricky at times, but there's also a lot to learn from that too. So Laura, you so you mentioned this um, PG cert in leadership that you've been doing. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Oh yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's with the University of Bristol, and there are lots of different elements to it. There's leadership and management, uh, patient safety, and quality improvement. And it's not for everyone, but I find myself learning about these things and thinking, this is mad. How is this not part of our part of our training? Um, And what's great about the qualification is that it encourages you to uh, do a project of your own and use the theory and the learning to support that project. So I'm creating a simulation-based course for international medical graduates working in paediatrics. And the opportunity to do something that you're passionate about and to really understand the process of quality improvement and project management is brilliant. These are certainly things that I didn't feel that I was good at or could be good at, but it has really given me confidence and skills to, to, do, to do it. Oh, that's really helpful to hear, Laura. I suppose, um, I, I, just quickly, is, is the PG cert something that you're doing separately or is it part and parcel with your sim fellowship? Yeah, so the PG Cert is part of the fellowship. Uh, When I uh, was offered the job, it was uh, a PG Cert in medical education, which I had had completed the previous year. So uh, we negotiated some support towards doing a postgraduate certificate in healthcare leadership, which was something that really interested me. So that's definitely another positive aspect to the fellowship, as there are to lots of other out of programme years, is support towards an educational qualification. And if you're doing something that's informing and supporting your clinical practice and your educational practice as well, then that all kind of blends together really nicely. Yeah, so I can see why I mean, you have a lot of plates spinning then, and not just small plates, three very big plates spinning side by side. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it sometimes does feel, it sometimes does feel like a lot. I think if you had lots of other plates spinning at the same time, that that could be, that could be tricky. And there was a period of time this year when we had a family emergency and and that becomes very difficult. You then think, gosh, what what is going to give here? But I think that the the teams are also supportive and understanding, then, you know, it, it works out, it works out okay. And like you said already, it's it's a skill set that we're going to need to know in the future anyway. It seems to be part of every consultant's job now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So those are really useful skills to learn for the future. Brilliant. Uh, one thing that we've been asking, you know, our fellows from various areas is whether they miss clinical practice at all. But I, I wonder if that question is as relevant for you, given that you are involved in clinical practice. Well, what are your feelings towards your current, the, the amount of um, exposure you get to the clinical world at the moment? Oh, yeah, so, so I'm 50% clinical, so I don't I don't miss clinical practice at all. I, I do have lots of colleagues who've done out-of-programme years that haven't involved clinical work, and some of them have expressed either 
joy at having that complete break from clinical practice which I think can be really helpful but also some concern about getting a bit rusty and getting back into training so I I suppose it's just important to think about if you are going to take an out of program year what your what your aims are and whether you think that will be helpful for you and if you are nervous about getting back into practice using all those amazing resources that there are to support you back into into clinical practice plugging some simulation courses as well which which can be really <laughs> which can be really helpful and and maybe also thinking about when you take that break from clinical practice so if you're someone who is concerned about the step up from SHO to registrar as I think all of us are you might find taking the break then a, a bit tricky for me it came at a great time between ST5 and 6. That's great thank you Laura in fact this sort of the shift in the conversation towards what trainees should be thinking about with their time out is a lovely segue into the next bit of what I wanted to talk about um, so thinking back on this on this fellowship you're doing at the moment who, who do you think or who do you feel like it's aimed at? Who, which trainee should be considering it? So I think this fellowship is aimed at people who are either interested in medical education and potentially really interested in aspects of medical education they might not have been involved in before, so simulation in particular, or it's aimed at people who are interested in paediatric intensive care Um or both, <laughs> and both, both together, I suppose, is the perfect combination. It's targeted at uh, slightly more senior paediatric trainees, so three years of experience is, I think, what they, what they ask for. But I was very open in my interview that I didn't see myself as being an intensivist, but was still really looking forward to gaining that knowledge. So it's, it's definitely not just designed for those people who are planning to apply for, for example, paediatric intensive care grid. We're looking for a a balance and an interest in education is, I suppose, the most important thing. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, And as someone who's currently doing this fellowship and has previously gone as far as traveling abroad and working abroad, um, what are your thoughts about, um, you know, why should trainees think about taking time out of training to to do an out of program experience of some sort? Oh, I think there are there are so many reasons. I I can I suppose only really speak from my personal experience, which was that. We are so lucky in paediatrics to have run through training in many ways to start and know that you might be in the same rough geographical area for eight years is brilliant. But for me, that run through training began to feel a bit more like a runaway train. And I really just wanted to get off and pause for a little bit. I was getting worried that I was going to be chewed up and spat out at the end of my training as a consultant without having really taken time to consider what was most important to me and what I was good at professionally and and I suppose personally as well and so I really wanted to take a break so I could have, have a bit of time I suppose so I suppose that that's the first that's the first reason that it might give you a bit of time to reflect on what is important to you Lots of people might be able to do that within training, but but for me, I needed a bit of time. I'd reached that stage where things start to shift. You know, the first few years of your training, you're thinking about getting through your next exam and your next ARCP. And then, at least it felt like to me, suddenly things got serious. And suddenly <laughs> I realised that um, 
it's really important to think about what's most important to you. <laughs> it seems strange that I hadn't done that already. Oh, I'm waffling again. Um, You're not waffling at all. That's really interesting to hear because it is true, isn't it? Your SHO years, you're so preoccupied with just getting your, your membership sorted that you don't really have time for all the other thoughts. And then suddenly you realise, oh, no, at the end of this, I've got to be a consultant with my areas of interest and what do I actually want out of life in the long run? And, and it's only once you've got all these membership exams and you've got the idea of how you do QI projects, and all that all that burdens off your mind that you've actually got the headspace to consider the big picture. Yeah. So that's I guess the, the first reason is, yeah, a pause. You might take it for that reason. Mm. The second reason um, I wanted to do an UP is to spend time invested in things that interested me so education was was a big one here and if you see yourself as a consultant with a an interest in something then spending time invested in that is really important what's going to make you look different to other consultants at the end of their training how can you demonstrate your commitment and passion to something I suppose it's really important when you're planning your UP to take some time to think about what's most important to you it's precious time and it would be a shame to get drawn into doing something that you thought you ought to do rather than something that you really, really want to do. So it might be that what's most important to you is being close to home for a year and having a manageable commute, not doing any on-call shifts. Or what's most important to you might be getting a, a PEDS emergency job and you might be well prepared to travel for that so I suppose taking the time to really think what's important to you will help you work out which is going to be the right UP. So that's been really helpful thank you Laura. I suppose some trainees will be out after a bit of practical advice about how they how the practicalities of organising out of programme experience. Do you have any any um, tips for them? I, I suppose Saying think early is is good advice in hindsight, but I always hated it when I heard people say that and you think, well, no, I need to think now. Um, so trying to plan ahead if you are thinking about taking an UP is important. So you've got time to consider what you are after, but also to speak to people. So keep your ear to the ground. Look at people who are doing UPs and, and ask them questions about it. Um, often jobs might get advertised on WhatsApp groups as well as NHS jobs. So just keep your keep your eye out and your ear out for things that might be interesting to you. And then planning ahead. And if you think you might apply for a job, speak to your trainee program director, your TPD, as early as you can. Some jobs will require TPD approval to, to go for them. But speaking to them early, I think, is really helpful. They have just such an unenviable task to slot trainees into different places it just seems like the jigsaw puzzle from hell where pieces keep appearing and disappearing and what the pitch is meant to look like changes all the time so speaking to them early is is a good idea it makes it much more likely that they'll be able to allow you to go on an, an UP because remember you've got to seek permission to do it um, and if you're not successful, then it just sets a real, really sort of clear statement for if you do apply again for another UP, that they will know that this is something that is really important, important to you. Um, yeah. So I think also don't be don't be embarrassed about. I felt nervous telling my TPD that I was applying for things in case I in case I didn't get it. But yeah, just be brave. Let them know early. And if you're yeah, nervous, exactly. about it, yeah, I'm sure they'd rather know than it. 
come out, show up out of nowhere when you're inevitably successful as as you were. <laughs> yeah, but I had I had applied for UPs previously that I hadn't I hadn't got, and and I was pleased that I had spoken to my TPD about it, and I learned from those experiences of applying and not being successful for jobs. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned from the from the process as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Laura. Um, I think that's basically everything that I wanted to to ask you. Uh, so I just wanted to say thank you very much for for talking to us about this. Thank you. No, it's been a it's a great thing to talk about and something that I'm really passionate about. Not taking OPs for the sake of take, taking OPs, but taking time to invest in the things that are important to you in your career. So yeah, I really hope it's I really hope it's helpful and I'm happy for any trainees to to contact me if they've got questions about this job in particular or UPs in general. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Laura. Thank you. And I just wanted to say thank you very much to Laura for joining us for this podcast. It was great to hear all about the Simulation Fellowship and it sounds like she's had an excellent time there. And I hope her, the second half of her fellowship is as much fun as that first half has been. If you'd like to support Dragon Bites, please head to our website www.patreon.com forward slash and you can help support our website in producing more of this content. That's all for this episode. Join us again next week. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.